It seems as though uh, last week when we looked in Gospelicious uh, that for God so loved the world, we saw that he had formed this gospel plan before any of us were formed. His love for me existed before I existed. His love for us existed before anything existed. We saw uh, that he started this wheels in motion on this gospel plan. We saw the height and how the great architect God uh, drew it up and made it come to pass. And this morning we get to see uh, the cost of the gospel. So last week was the beginning of the gospel to know that we were on his mind from the very first. But now we get to see exactly what that good news, what salvation cost us. If you want to look at it like this, last week was the height of the gospel. This week would be the depth of the gospel. In John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My goal this morning is to reveal to you what that cost is, why it cost what it did. But I want us to just take that phrase for a moment. Uh, For God so loved the world uh, that He gave His only begotten Son. It's been said that we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. That was missionary Amy Carmichael that said that. It would be one thing for a husband to continually tell his wife that he loves her. While never showing it, it would send a mixed message, and she would begin uh, maybe to question the love that her husband has for her if he's only telling her he loves her but never shows her. And the same thing with a wife or the same thing uh, with a parent-to-child relationship. If we just simply say, I love you, but don't back it up with action in our life, it, it doesn't take long for us to begin to question the sincerity of that love. Do, do our actions really match up with our words? And here we're reminded that God is not just telling us. He loves us. He's not just saying it and making sure it's communicated through the Word, he backs it up with a display of love. It, it, is, it is a verbal statement. It is a promise from God that I love you. But it is also supported with this action on behalf of his Son, saying, I am showing you how much I love you. And I want you to think of three things this morning that should come to our mind when we're considering that phrase, that he gave his only begotten Son. The first thing is this, and you might jot this down. It reminds us of the preexistence of Jesus. It reminds us of the preexistence of Jesus. There are actually two verbs used to describe Jesus' relationship with the Father and with the world. It says in verse 16 that the Father gave His only begotten Son. But later in verses 17 and in 18, it talks to us that the Father did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. We've got two really beautiful verbs used there. One is given and the other is sent. Now, if God the Father is giving us His Son and sending us His Son, we know from that, we understand from that, that God did not just form Jesus Right there at the moment in time when he was to come to the world. He didn't form Jesus. Jesus didn't begin in the manger. Jesus didn't begin, uh, didn't come to existence through Mary's womb. That's how he was manifested to us. 
That's how he stepped into our world. But Jesus is God's son. He is God's only son. He shares the same qualities and nature as God. He is God. That means he has always existed. He has always been and will forever be. He was with the Father before the foundation of the world. In John chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, um, as he's praying with the disciples before he goes out into the garden, to be betrayed, and ultimately then begins the crucifixion process, the trials and then the crucifixion. Jesus, in John chapter 17, verse 5, prayed to his Father, saying, I I want them in front of the disciples, that we would have the glory that we had together before the world was. Jesus told his disciples, prayed to his Father in the presence of his disciples, reminding his disciples, hey, I didn't just come down here through the manger. I didn't just come by way of Mary's womb. I have always been that I have had glory with the Father before the world was. First Peter chapter 1, verse 20, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last days for us. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Jesus existed, Peter said, but He was manifested. In these last days for us. You know, there are a lot of things. In fact, the list of things that I would not do for my child is pretty short. And as a parent, you would probably agree that your children are so very special to you. You uh, probably love your children more than many other things in your life. If, there was, if someone was, was asking you to lay down your life for your child, you would probably do that. If someone came in and, and it was either it was a choice between your life or your child's life, you would willingly, I would imagine, out of your love as a parent, you would willingly lay down your life for a child. I, I believe I would do that. But that's my child. Don't be coming up to me after service trying to get me to agree to lay down my life for your child. Because you know what? It's probably not going to happen. I I would like to think that I have a hero nature inside of me. But I may not so much for your child because, well, that's your child. That's your responsibility. My child? I love my child. And I'm going to be honest, I love my child more than I love your children. I mean, they're just better kids, okay? Can we all, can we all just agree? <laughs> they're getting ready to shut my mic off up there. Because they think they've got special children up in the balcony too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Guys, you know, there are different seasons in your life where you begin to look at things differently. There are times where you can read Scripture, and and it means something to you, don't get me wrong, but then there are those moments where you have a a major life event, and it causes you to change the lens in which you view Scripture. Not that you're seeing something uh, that isn't true, but you're just able to apply it differently. It, it It may hit you in a different manner. And I'll tell you, John 3.16 was always special to me but it became even more special when I started having my own children to realize how much God loved me. 
that he would be willing to give me on my behalf his only son who existed before the foundation of the world. I want you to see how John records this person of Jesus. He says that God loved the world so much that he gave. You know, something we may miss in there that I think is incredibly important is what John is saying is this. Number two, Jesus is the express image of God's love. Now just think about this for a minute. Jesus is the express image of the love of the Father for me. You want to know how much God loves you? You really, you really want to, if we begin to question the love of God, what John says is you want to know to what extent God loves you. Do you want to know with what kind of magnitude? Do you want to know what kind of love God has heaped up on you? He loved you so much. And if you don't think that the word so is important, let me ask you something, wives. Is it different when your husband loves you compared to when he so loves you? Yes. Every wife wants a husband that doesn't just love her. He so loves her. And what John is saying is this is how God loves us. This, this act, this gift, this giving, this sending of his only son is the express image. It is the cherry on top of how much God loves us. When people begin to take the name of Jesus and attach it to a cuss word, I mean, seriously, should that not just absolutely break our hearts? When someone says the name of Jesus in any other way that does not bring praise and worship and adoration to Him, shouldn't it cause something within us to just cringe to hear that? Why? Because that is the name above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess of things in the earth and things under the earth. That name represents the person who is the express image of God's love to me. Those who say, I don't believe God loves me. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm sure that we go through hard times. I'm sure we are tempted sometimes to be challenged in our faith and to grab for any evidence that we can that God loves us. But I've heard people question God's love because they were struggling to find a job. And again, don't misunderstand me. I can imagine how difficult it can be when you can't find a job and you've been praying, asking God, God, please, you know my needs. You promised you would provide and to pray in that manner and to not see God answer yet you could be tempted to question God's love. Or to say over the bed of a sick and afflicted loved one, God, please heal. I know you have the capability. Please heal this person. And to not see that, act, that, that happen the way in which you pray. It would be so easy to, to walk away from that not seeing God provide a job or see God not heal your loved one that you've prayed for for so long. And it would be tempting to be able to walk away and say, well, I wonder, does God really love me? Does God really care about me? When I start to think like that and harbor those thoughts, you know what I need to do? I need to mark 
John 3.16. I need to be I need to be prepared. I need to have John 3.16 in my holster. I need to have it right here as the sword that I pull out to do battle against with the enemy. And I need to say on my knees, God, you love me and I know it. You don't just love me. You so love me that you sent Jesus Christ to the earth for me. Whether I see it Intangible results down here, tangible answers to prayer. Let me never question your love for me. Amen. Why? Because God loved the world so much, so much that he proved it by giving his one and only son. He is the person of love. Colossians 2.9, He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that we are to look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about that remarkable phrase for a moment. Not as though Jesus is some drone, emotionless, willless, personalityless. Don't even know that that's a word. Sharon Lewis just cringed somewhere in this sanctuary. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What in the world? What kind of... You, we know the cross. Many of you have seen the passion of the Christ, which was a pretty accurate description of the crucifixion of Jesus. It was a cruel and inhumane form of torture meant to maximize the amount of pain inflicted on one person until death would finally rescue them from such a fate. And yet, in the midst of this public shaming and public rejection, not to mention the immense physical torture that he was undergoing on my behalf. The writer of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he was able to not just see the cross, but to see beyond the cross. To see what would come. To know what would come of his action. To know that his sacrifice would bring many sons to glory. You've heard the song, how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turned his face away. That all through the son, the chosen son, he would bring many sons to glory. Jesus knew what was going to happen, was fully aware of it, and for the joy that was set before him, the love that he had, knowing that that sacrifice would bring us, would open the door, would open the gate to heaven. Notice the second, or this third part, please, with me this morning. We move from the pre-existence of Jesus. He always was. He stepped down into time, was manifested in this sense. Through Mary's womb, he became the person of love. He is the express image of the love of the Father, both in character, nature, 
and his action. But then we see the third and final thing. The purpose was of rescue. He was given. He was sent. Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus himself says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. There was, he was not going to be detoured on his mission. He was never behind. He was never late. He was never early. He was always on God's timetable to the very moment, to the very second that he breathed his last. He was fulfilling, uh, he was fulfilling the prophecies. He was walking in obedience to the Lord. He was com- proclaiming the kingdom message and doing all of that in a perfect life, never sinning. He never thought a bad thought. He never said a bad thing. He never did not do something that he should have done. He never did something that he shouldn't have done. In both acts of commission and omission, he was holy in all ways. He was tempted in all manners like we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. He came down here. He lived the perfect life. But the whole purpose, the whole reason of the the perfect life was not as some think to show us that it could be done. No doubt Jesus is the perfect example. He handled everything perfectly. He did everything holy. He did everything just right. His purpose wasn't to show us that it could be done. His purpose was to show us that it couldn't be done except through Him. He is the only one who could live the perfect life. Why did God send Him? Why did God give Him? What was the reason? What was the purpose? I would want to know that if I was going to give my son my most treasured possession, if I was going to invest that, I would want to know that I was getting something good on the return. The Bible tells us the reason Jesus came was to bring many sons to glory, was to bridge that gap between man and God, to bring us back to God. Why did he come through Mary's womb? Why did the Spirit put that seed in Mary's womb? So he could have an earthly mother, but a holy father. So that he would be clothed in flesh, yet 100% perfect, having the nature of God. He could live this life if his purpose is to bring man to God. The only way that could be done was when God became a man. You know... If you think about it, this plan started before the foundation of the world. We learned that last week. We know that God used his son who had been with him forever and will be with him forever. So we, are, we understand that timing is important to God. But some of you may be relatively new Christians. Or you may be baby Christians that have yet to really be able to grow and mature and develop. And you may, you may think, well, this sounds like a pretty big deal. Let me tell you, it is. It's an incredibly big deal on two different levels. One is, this isn't something that God hid. He made it known, both through prophecies, for, through foreshadowings, that we would be able to see and understand. You see, we didn't, we didn't always be able to grasp it. That's why it was referred to as a mystery in the New Testament. But what I do know is that God in the very beginning, everything in human history up to this point of Jesus' sacrifice was pointing towards that sacrifice. 
Let me give you a few examples. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve created perfect. And there, because Adam sin, Eve sinned and then Adam sinned, sin came upon all men, and now they're separated from God. Totally separated from God. One is righteous and holy in God, and man is now sinful. They have been separated. They needed to be reconciled. They needed to be brought together. So what did God do? As man ran off into the fig trees and hid from him, realizing he was naked and ashamed, he hides from the voice of God. And what does God do? He comes to the garden, and he speaks with Adam, saying, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. He just wanted Adam to know he was looking for him. Adam comes out and says, I'm naked, I'm ashamed. God says, who told you you were naked? God gets to the heart of the issue, and you know what God does? In the Garden of Eden, in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, God takes an animal and kills it, and takes its skin and covers Adam and Eve's nakedness so that they could be covered. Their sin, their shame could be covered, but it had to be covered at the price of an animal. Not long after that, sin, man's heart became evil continually. And there was one man who found grace in the eyes of God, and his name was Noah. And God told Noah, I want you to build an ark. And that one family, one family, was rescued through God's plan of salvation. The ark. The entire sacrificial setup. The entire Levitical system of sacrifice and worship was based off of this idea that one dies for another. That there must be a suitable sacrifice for sin. Remember Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was told to offer his son Isaac upon Mount Moriah. And he went there after a three days journey. And he and Isaac alone went up with the wood on his back and the knife and the fire. And they went up and Abraham laid his great son, his wonderful son, his most beloved son, Isaac, on the altar and got ready to offer him there, drew back the knife in which the angel of the Lord said, Stop, lay no harm to the young man, for now I know that you fear the Lord. You remember that God made a substitute for Abraham. That there would be a ram caught in the thicket that would be offered on behalf of Isaac. This wasn't something that God had hidden throughout the pages. It was all foreshadowing this great moment that some thousands of years later, God would lead his son up a hill in the very vicinity of Mount Moriah. And instead of being withheld, he would not allow that hand to withhold the punishment, but would bring it down on his son. Why? Because of God's love for us. That his son had to live the perfect life that we were unable to in order to be able to bring us to God. You've heard me use this illustration before. Is that if I stand at the free throw line and shoot my first free throw and make it, my percentage is 100% and I should stop right there. But I won't. I shoot another one and I miss it. My percentage has just dropped to what? 50%. Let's say I shoot 1,000 more free throws in a row and I make every one of them. What's my percentage then? Yeah, someone's saying, well, then you wake up. You're right. My percentage is 99.9999. Will my percentage ever be 100 again? No. Why? 
because I missed that one. I could make a million more free throws in a row and never get back to 100% because I missed that one. You and I may have higher or lower percentages than other people. And we may come in here boasting of how our percentage is so much higher than some of those other folks. But isn't that all of isn't that like us just sitting in a muddy ditch, throwing mud at each other, saying that we're the least dirty? Rejoicing in that we have least amount of mud on us. Jesus came and made every one of those free throws. He made every one of those free throws for you. And he made every one of those free throws for me. Not for the purpose that I would come in here and boast of my percentage being higher or lower than anybody else's, but that I may be able to say glory to God in the highest. Because I was a sinner deserving of hell. And God came down and lived the perfect life that I could never live. And he died as a substitution for me on the cross of Calvary. And today, if I will place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for what he did for me on the cross, and confess Him as my Lord and Savior, I will have eternal life. That is the good news. The height of love, the height of the gospel, is that God planned it before the foundation of the world. The depth of the gospel is that He sent His own Son. If you've never heard that before, I'm sorry. It's not God's big secret. It may be Christian's big secret, but it's never been God's big secret. You know, here's something exciting, folks. Let me end with this. This message that I just told you is so incredibly close to being preached to a representative of every tribe, nation, and tongue in the world. That is exciting. Right now, there are missionaries. There are Christians who loved others more than themselves. Who realize that this gospel was not just a message for white Anglo-Saxons in America, but good for every person in the world. And they believed it enough that they were willing to leave home and livelihood and be willing to step out from where they were and to go to a place that nobody has ever heard the name of Jesus. And we are so incredibly close to having the gospel preached to a representative of every tribe, nation, and tongue. Jesus promised He would not return until all the world has had a chance to hear. If you haven't heard, it's not because it's been God's secret. He wants you to know. He wants you to know right now through this gospel that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter, friend, if your percentage is 99.99 or if your percentage is 0.9. God does not care. You know, you can look all over. You can look down here among friends and family. And you will never find a love like this. You can earn it. You believe it and receive it. It is the free gift of God. Today, if you can admit right here, God, I am a sinner. I don't know what my percentage is, but I know what it's not. And today, Lord, I stand in need of you. Jesus 
told us straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting and few there be that find it. Those are some powerful words, friends. Powerful words. What he's saying is not every road leads to eternal life. Not every every religion will lead you. We're not talking about a religion this morning. We're talking about a relationship with the one true God. And if you have tried to get to heaven any other way, through your good works, through church membership, through being a good Baptist. It's not going to work. It is only through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And today, if you'd say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I am in awe of the price you would pay for me. I told my pastor one time, I said, yeah, Brother Al, I said, you know what? If I was the only person on earth, I know that Jesus still would die for me. My pastor, never wanting to be outdone, said, you're right. He said, but you would have had to have been the one to nail him there. There's a lot of truth to that. Friends, today, will you receive Jesus Christ? Will this be your first step? God, I'm a sinner. I know it. I need reconciled. I need made right with you. Today, I believe that you sent your son on my behalf to die on the cross and was raised again the third day. And today, I confess him as my Lord and Savior. That is between you and God from your heart to God's from your mouth to God's ears that's what it is and if you've prayed that today for the first time maybe you prayed it for the first time last week and you just sat there you didn't want people to know that you're a disciple friends let me tell you something if we can't confess Jesus Christ in here how are we ever going to confess Jesus Christ out there I'm going to ask you this morning if you've prayed that I'm going to invite you to come right down here you know why because we want to celebrate with you we want to glorify God for your decision to say this morning, I am not ashamed to call myself a Christian. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to be there as a support for you as you begin those first steps with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's something else. Maybe the gospel has gotten old and stale to you, to be honest. Maybe you know you're a Christian, but you know what? It's just gotten stale. And maybe this morning God's love has just burdened your heart and you say, you know what? This is a love that's not just for me. I want to take it to the whosoever. I want to be more bold in my witness to share love with those who need to hear this message of salvation. Whatever that is. Maybe you've got something totally unrelated to the message this morning. God can do that. Maybe it's church membership. I have no idea what God wants from you this morning. But I pray that we would not walk out of here without any unfinished business left in our hearts.